I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 86th Texas Legislature. This week, high hopes for higher ed. For all the talk this session of how public education is in need of a massive overhaul, how we pay for it, how we recruit, train, and retain the best professionals to work in our schools and school districts, how we hold them and the system accountable for student outcomes, higher education is no less in need of help at the Capitol. The state's share of higher ed funding is way down on a percentage basis from 25 years ago, and so more and more of the cost is being passed on to the end user. Sound familiar? Graduation rates are charitably put nothing to write home about. With notable exceptions, the quality of the classroom experience and the level of academic excellence are unimpressive. And then there's access. If you're an applicant or the parent of one, you know that getting admitted to many of the nearly 150 four-year and two-year schools in Texas can be a challenge. The population is growing faster than our capacity to accommodate everyone who wants in. And precisely at a moment when the importance of providing opportunity for all has never been greater. In the success of higher ed, nothing less than our future workforce and our future citizenry are at stake, as this week's guest is only too eager to tell you. Renu Kator is the chancellor of the University of Houston system, one of the state's six public university systems, the only woman and the only person of color among her peers. She's also president of the University of Houston, the third largest university in Texas and the one with the most diverse student body. At a time of rapid urbanization and precipitous demographic change, U of H is the kind of institution that is critical to our future. And that makes Couture a key player at all times, but especially when state lawmakers are under the pink dome. What will they do for or to higher ed this session? The chancellor and I sat down to chew that over on the afternoon of March 5th, day 57 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, joining forces with universities statewide to identify solutions to fragmentation and costs in healthcare. More at standingwithtexas.com. And by WGU Texas, introducing the 101, the new standard for higher education polling in Texas. For full results, visit texas.wgu.edu. And Texas State Technical College, the solution to the skills gap in Texas. Learn more at tstc.edu slash 86th session. So with all the focus on public ed and property tax reform this session, is anybody paying attention to higher ed? Do they even know up the street that there is a higher ed this session? Oh, I'm sure uh, they do pay attention. I mean, they uh, everybody knows the higher education is the what fuels the economy, and it's very important. So in my conversations, they always do ask They're always about acknowledging higher ed. So you don't feel unloved when you go up there? No, I don't. But, you know, public education is important as well, you know, because that's our pipeline. So I'm happy that the, the education is at the center of attention because as right. long as education is a center, higher ed will benefit anyway. So, so I think that's interesting. The, the integration between public and higher ed, which has kind of happened informally out in the world. You talk to people, they say, well, it's not just K through 12 and higher ed. It's pre-K through 16 and beyond, right? That's we have true. to think about this as one seamless bucket. It is true. But again, when it comes to focusing on an issue or, you know, doling out love, 
this session, I hear a lot of talk about public ed. I'm just, I guess I'm just wondering if not hearing a lot of talk about higher ed is a good thing maybe because when you're on their radar screen, they mess with you. And maybe to be ignored is to be left alone. Well, I've, you know, I am, as I said, I'm really happy that the attention is on education. And yeah. honestly, I mean, public education is extremely critical to us. When the budgets are laid out, I mean, I don't see that we are not loved and I, I feel well, loved. The, the higher ed budget so, this time at the beginning of the session is better than it was okay, two years so, ago, right? So, you know, actions speak more than words. And so right. I don't feel unloved. I know people know that how important higher ed is. And I'm sure we're going to be beneficiary regardless because Texas does need uh, a very strong workforce. Texas does need, you know, um, uh, improvement, enhancement in terms of, uh, you know, bringing new businesses and new technology to the state. And it can be done without, you know, having proper skill sets. Well, so, you all are the way, way toward that. I mean, for all the discussion, and we'll talk about this later, about whether we, does every kid need to go to college, right? That's a, sure, that's we can a have that discussion. Point. Right, sure, but, but the reality is if we're going to talk about future workforce, if yeah. we're going to talk about future innovation, that's right. really only going to happen if they run through some form of higher ed. Well, I, I think uh, that... Arts are definitely, I mean, if you look, there are always people who can be extremely innovative, extremely entrepreneurial, extremely successful. Yeah, Michael Dell did okay dropping out Absolutely, and I can give you many examples, but the question is, what are the arts? And, uh, you know, you don't want to show arts of somebody and put all of those people who can truly benefit and who can actually get on the ladder of social mobility discouraged by saying, oh, so-and-so did it, I can do it too. The thing is, the arts of doing doing that kind of thing without a college degree are pretty, 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 pretty slim. So, so is there an identifiable agenda for higher ed when you've been up the street to talk to people or if you talk to your peers in higher ed? Sure. In public ed, the agenda is around school finance, of course. A, a subset of that is whether we're going to pay teachers and how we're going to do it. There's a conversation around pre-K. There's a conversation around school safety. If, if you ask people out in the legislative in, environment, you say, what are the agenda items? Publicly, right. they know. Are there e- equally identifiable or easily identifiable higher ed agenda items? Oh, absolutely. All six of our systems, we do have uh, common agenda items. And then, of course, we all have, you know, something else that we want to do. So tell me what the common agenda is. Okay, items so are. the common agenda, number one, is, of course, the, the funding, the base funding or the funding formula, because that's how... All of, all of the public institutions are funded. Right. So if I can take you back to 2010 and 11, what the funding formula funded at that time, which was $62 and some cents per credit hour, today that is 23% less today, uh, since 2010 and so 11. So just as the state share of funding of public ed has gone down, yes. the state share of funding of higher Absolutely. ed has gone down. And they've pushed off, public ed's pushed it off on property taxpayers uh, higher ed pushes it off on families and students. I mean, it goes on tuition or we create efficiencies and we try to do different right. kinds of things and we try to do with like what we have done just now, you know, uh, raised a billion dollars in our capital campaign. to But try you can to, only you know, cut so them. much and you can only fundraise sure. so Ab- much. At absolutely. the end of the day, students and families are going to be affected by that. So I think the funding right. formula and just getting it to 2010 and 11 level, that itself is a, a, a you know, is a very common agenda for all of us want that because right, right now it's $55 some cents what it used to be six. $62 some cents if we adjust for inflation. So that's number that's one That's a big, for us. and all six of you yeah, all, the absolutely. systems all agree. All agree, totally. Yeah. Second thing, of course, is the Texas grants. We know how helpful they have been in order to try to get those people who don't have financial means to really get to college. 
And it is absolutely important for us because, you know, we serve so many students who are first generation and who come from families that they can't afford. We just need to make sure that we can cover the needs of those people. Last session, last biennium session, we could only cover 90%. So we just want to make sure. So that's a common, you know, absolute common priority for everybody. Right. And if you think about public ed as the input for higher ed, we know that 60% or so of the enrolled students in the Texas public education system are on free and reduced right. lunch. If you assume that that right. is the pipeline for higher ed, chances are you're going to take on a very high percentage of kids who come from the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to need financial aid. Exactly. And right. and we know that when we can do financial aid and when we can put the culture in such a way so that it's student-focused, you know, and, and you are trying to get students through uh, their degree or diploma and just making sure that they don't drop out, which we have been, you know, so debt focused on it. You know right. that you can make a difference. You can move the needle. I mean, our graduation rates have gone up by 21 points. You right. Know? Although the completion rates generally in Texas are nothing to write home about. Right? No, it's nothing. But, yeah, but you all are an outlier along with a couple of other universities. The aspect, jump right? up has been really great. So it can be done. It just takes a village. It takes a lot of hard work. And some, so, although it's not only money, it takes some money. Definitely. To give those students the ability to succeed. Right. All right, so that's another agenda. Okay. Item. What else would you say? So um, one other thing, I mean, Texas legislature did a great thing by, um, you know, passing the Hazelwood Act, which I think is a, just a very noble thing to do, which is supporting our veterans and their families. So there's one piece is the veterans and the other piece is the legacy piece of it. The right. The, right. So the legacy piece has been going up exponentially for all institutions, and we all want to do it because we are in the business of giving education. We love it when, you know, you say, well, you need to give education to so-and-so. All we are asking the legislature is to just help fund, you make, know. Make us so, whole. Make us whole. And this so, was a t am I remembering, Chancellor, this was a fight last session as Yes, well, right? it was. It was. And so so I think that is, uh, again, another piece. And that's one, a couple hundred million, though. About, oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, but, but it's not, it's, not like but, significant money beyond that, but that's no, not but nothing. No, but it's increasing. It's right. going to go getting, over a billion up. dollars right. if we don't really do something about it right, right. now. Now, there's a one other thing, which is a, a special items that were, you know, taken away last time. Right. Uh, and I think all of the six systems, we understand Give many us of those. Give ex examples of those. So there are different kinds. Some of them are really, they are absolute base instructional funds. I mean, they have been, for many years, they were just, uh, they serve the base function, but they just call it special items the way they were introduced. So really speaking, they are base but then others are for a startup, like if you have some good idea, let's say take like superconductivity for our center for superconductivity. Legislature gave a funding for it, and that is to start an idea. And we understand that it should only last for a certain number of years because it's a startup if it is. So there are many of those kinds of ideas, but then there were downward expansion money. I mean, we lost money from our UH Victoria and UH Clear Lake campus. UH Victoria never even got the full downward expansion money, which legislature approved. And the, and the Clear Lake campus, you know, they got the funding and both of them saw a huge cut. Now, if it, you think And the about thing it, is, it was easy to cut those items. They seemed like uh, a, a, a extravagances or they seemed like things that were, you know, expendable. Well, because the name is a special. So right. it's saying, why should you be treated as special? But right. the thing is, they are not a special. They are really fundamental. And when you take the downward expansion money, what you're doing is you are allowing a university to go four years from two years, but you are building a very weak foundation. 
I mean, you know how solid a structure you can build. It all depends on the kind of foundation you have. Right. So it's been extremely painful for us. So, yeah. so I mean, this is us, but there are other schools who are sort of in the same thing. They have different examples of where this is special funding went. Right. And I think all of us want to, you know, make sure that that funding gets restored. And then there's one, one more item which many, I think most of the systems do have some institution in there, and that is the, all of the emerging research universities, we, had, um, we have research funding on several things. Like there is a program called TRIP, which is uh, legislature matches um, money for private donations for research activity. Okay. We have right now a backlog of over $180 million for the last four years that people have given the money and we've told them that this is a legislative program. And you expect that that's going to be matched. Right. But they haven't matched it. They, it is just backlogged. I'm saying they're going to match it. I mean, legislature right. will never go back Well, wait till the words. check comes before you have complete exactly. confidence that you're going to get it. Right? So, yeah. so I'm hoping, so that's about $180 million yeah. of that. But then there are other things too. For instance, we have funding which is called the, the National Research University Fund or NRAF, which, yeah. uh, which allowed universities to get in and then tap the money. So now there are more institutions, but then there is a different thing, difference in formula. So we are, for University of Houston, for instance, we are getting less money now than what we were getting six years or eight years ago when we got in. Yeah. So my point is this, that there are so many different ways in which the money is shrinking. Some that are directly and some that are indirectly, like a Hazelwood thing is totally indirect. Well, but just it like is you're constantly taking incoming, right? Exactly. It's really so, a battle. And Texas needs more and more. So I think for all six of our systems, right. all of those agenda items are extremely critical. We right. are all together in one you know, voice yeah. for the sake of Texas well, you, and Texans. You understand, Chancellor, that the, the, these dollars in the budget, there's a finite amount of money. Yes. And that these dollars are not referendum dollars, higher ed versus not higher ed. It's choice right. dollars. Absolutely. It's higher ed versus public ed or higher right. ed versus transportation. And everybody wants theirs. And they know that when they get theirs, it comes at the expense of somebody else's. Right. Can you make the argument that higher ed deserves the money more than public ed or higher ed deserves the money than health care? There are four and a half million people in the state with no health insurance. We have entire counties without doctors. We have right. children. The number of our uninsured children in Texas is going up year over year. Can you make the argument as a choice that higher ed is a better dollar spent than public well, ed or health care or something else? The good thing is I don't have to say it is better or it's worse. Right. You know, I, I don't I just I come here to sort of advocate and make champion and make my case. Right. I would never go and argue that give higher ed money and take it away from public ed. I mean, but you know on. that's what's going to happen, though. It well, may have to happen. I hope not. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, we end up doing a lot of things, increasing efficiency. I have no idea. That's not, that's way above my pay grade. But all I know is that if I did not make a case for higher education and what it contributes not just today, in, this is an investment in the in future. In the future, that's right. And it's an investment in the future in, in multiple ways. One yeah. is, of course, preparing workforce, but the other one is about all of the research and innovation and, and entrepreneurship that's coming. And I think if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be doing my job as a chancellor. Well, so in a literal sense, here. that's what they hired you to do. 
That's what I'm doing. You know, it's like the meme that many of your students will repeat back to you. You had hashtag you had one job, right? Your one job is to go up to the Capitol and and to be the advocate. And to that effect, I want to ask you about the change in personnel. You know, this legislative session is different in many respects from last. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there are a whole bunch of new members. I think one fifth of the House is new. Mm -hmm. You have a few new senators, which of late is news itself. The Senate hasn't changed very much. You have a new chair of higher ed in the House. You have a new chair of higher ed in the Senate. And you have a new speaker. Mm-hmm. So how is that? What's it like to walk into the building? It's like the first day of school and there's a new class of students you have to deal with, right? right? Well, well, I have gone and sat down with most of the people or actually probably all of the people you mentioned and many others. And, um, you know, one thing is I must say they're extremely interested and eager to to hear you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really truly... Well, that's a hopeful sign, right? Right, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I do think the people, regardless of how you paint in abstract, the government, you know, say, well, they don't listen, blah, blah, blah. Individually, when you sit down, I mean, people care. They are in this this place here because they believe that they can do something good for the public. Right. I, I do believe that. I'm a political scientist. And I do believe people come in with really goodness of their heart. I mean, it's Your just idealism is charming, I will okay, say. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it may be a little unrealistic, <laughs> but I'm going to let you be, believe, believe that it's all good. No, I mean, yeah. listen, I'm, I, I wasn't born yesterday, so... Right. I understand you, that, but I still understand. do believe that. Yeah. You know, you can call glass half full or half empty. It's better to call it half full and continue to work right. toward so it. So you sat down so, with the speaker and you talked so to him about what and, you did. And they are definitely very eager yeah. to listen you to listen to you, asking questions, engaging, and understanding. Absolutely, that is important for higher education. And I can see in some of the bills and the budget, you know, you can see that. They, it, they it's do reflected understand. in there. Absolutely. And so the speaker who's so concerned about public ed, you can say to him, for instance, look, public ed is our input. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing that connects to us in the sense that the kids who leave public ed are the ones who we get if we have significant remediation to do, if right. we have a harder time getting them onboarded, and then we have a hard time once they're here getting them out. There's all this one so links of the chain, right? Well, it's all connected. Well, there's one other angle. Yeah. You can't fix really public ed without having the teachers who come out from your higher ed. And you're going to be producing so, those. Exactly. So right. there is a complete circle, and that's the reason why we are in we are in all of those spaces also trying to help because, you know, I can't just sit here and say, oh, public schools are bad, you know, or, or they, they don't prepare this or any kind of criticism because these are our teachers. So right. if, the, if the public school... There's, there are issues with public school. We have some blame you to take. You have to own right? part of that problem. Exactly. Part of that problem. So let me ask you about some of the big things in um, in higher ed and how we ought to be thinking about it in this session and maybe over a, a, a long term. Now, here I'm going to try to talk to you as an interviewer and not the parent of a high school senior, which okay. I happen to be. Oh, where, where is your senior going? Well, we don't know yet. That's okay. uh, It's it's okay. not, not as fraught a conversation as it may be in some households. Well, can, I, but can I talk to him or her and just make sure that I can... My, my son would probably be happy to talk to you because, you, as I say, your uh, idealism is charming um, and you're, you're, very, right. ni- you're so a very nice person. What's his number? I can call him. Uh, we want to do, maybe we should just do it right now, actually. <laughs> I'll put him on speaker. Um, but, but as a parent of a high school senior, but even not as a parent, we hear a lot about access and the challenge <laughs> of getting kids into school. And my question to you is, do we make it easy enough? Does the process set up enough that families, students feel like, you know, we're creating enough opportunity, enough access for them? In some schools, there's a problem of there not being enough spots. Um, Campuses are jammed. You don't necessarily have all the facilities you need, although the tuition revenue bonds legislation of a couple sessions ago helped in certain places create more opportunity. 
I, I guess I'm wondering if if the system is set up for success given the fast growth of the population and the demand on all of you. Right. Are you able to take as many kids as you need to? Well, we, we could take definitely more. Uh, yeah. We continue to still grow. The The whole question is this. Can we, do we have luxury of sitting down and using any excuse? Because after all, it's again about the future of Texas, right? right. So I just don't even look at those excuses. We try to see, okay, what is it that we can do best? I mean, we can just take the hand we are dealt with and cry about it, or we can play our very best game. So how do you tell families so, in Houston or somewhere else that this is a place for you and we're going to make it as easy as possible for you to apply and get in, create the access points that we need to to leverage that opportunity? What do you right. say? So first of all, we have to deal with perception, which may seem like college is a kind of a place, intimidating place, right? Yeah. So one of the first things you can do is to try to expose kids to college. And, you know, so we do a lot of those summer programs and trying yeah. to bring kids there and it does make a difference well second thing is you just need to get the guidance counselors you know on your side and make create a partnership where they understand that you know they have a huge influence on on kids in terms of yes you can apply but then we've got some other issues too like even financial aid form or trying to fill out the, the you know one of those aid forms it's just complicated why can't we just make it really tiny small right. but that's not in our control for instance now i try to do whatever i can which is on our campus i mean uh, we we have my goal has been let's just make it a no excuse priority and let's just try to see how we can simplify now i i don't i'm not as much engaged about the students who are accessing the university, but I can tell you once they access, I visit 25 to 28 freshman classes within first week of the fall semester every right. year. I go. And I tell them, first of all, I could call you in a bigger stadium and I can say, hi, hello, but, but that's not it. It's about you being able to see my eyes and I'm being able to see your eyes and just telling you that this is really important for you. This is a journey. You ought to take pride and take it seriously. Right. The fact that right? you just got here and you got in doesn't mean your work is over. It's just beginning. No. It's, and it's not necessary that you are going to graduate with your degree because if you look at the statistics, you know, statewide, you know the chances of you graduating, you know, are not 100%. They're not 90% or 80% or 70%, right? Right. So the question is what is it that you can do today and what is it that we can do today and make sure that you will stay here? And yeah. I tell them, here is my email, and I give to all freshmen, here's my email. If you run into bureaucracy where you feel like I'm fed up and I just can't deal with it, because 46,000 students, a lot on main campus itself. Ma massive, right? third largest university in the state. Exactly. Right. So what I say is you're going to send me an email and give me a chance to keep you here, and in three days I promise to resolve your issue. How many? So you give them 72-hour turnaround? I do. Really? But I don't do it personally. Obviously, the system is set no, up. I mean, it takes and, and, a village, right? And I, I get that. But and I still. tell them that it's not necessary that the decision will come out in your favor, but at least it will be over with. How many emails like that do you get, Chancellor? I get hundreds. You do? Yeah, I do. And sometimes they are cutest emails ever possible about, can you call my girlfriend and, you know. Uh, things like that, but that's okay. It's the point right. is access. Probably some of the problems you hear, you'd rather call the girlfriend because that's easier <laughs> to fix, right, than some of the stuff they're asking for. But but go back go to back. before the time yes. that these kids get into school. Do you have enough spots for the kids who want to come? Right now, uh, our application pool is over 28,000, and we know for, for freshmen. An for an entering freshman class mm -hmm. of? So it's about 5,000, roughly. So you're getting five to six times the number of applicants. How many of those are University of Houston qualified kids if so you had an unlimited number of spots? Probably half of these will get, or maybe a little more than half will get right. accepted. 
And uh, after that, you know, the same kids would have applied to UT or AM or, or you know, right. us or Oklahoma or who knows where. And then the question is who you will bring here. And I try to always give them a value proposition for the University of Houston. You are in the fourth largest city in the United States, a mega economy with... With 20, NASA. Harris County is the 25th largest state in the country. See, Somebody told me the other day, right? Right. Yeah. With the largest Texas medical center, energy industry, NASA, and port. Think about it, where the economy is and where your future will be. Here you have an opportunity to come to University of Houston and be exposed to people, speakers, who are constantly here because they are right here. We can get them to come to campus. Right. Professors who are teaching... 75% of professors who are teaching are the PhD, the faculty, but we have 20 to 25% of our faculty actually are experts out in the field. We can grab them because they are in the city, but also for you to be able to do co-op, for you to be able to work with a nonprofit organization. I mean, opportunities in a global city that's vibrant, that has yeah. vibrant economy. Well, that's your, that's your selling proposition. Absolutely. Right. I, I guess in a way I'm sort of still stuck on this idea I have no doubt that once they apply and they get in that you can make a sale to a lot of them. But I'm wondering if there are kids who simply can't get in because yeah. you don't have room. Yeah. Do you have to send them to a, a regional campus or do you have to tell them, you know, we have so many automatic admits that we don't really right. have discretion to let in kids who might not sure. qualify. That's the conundrum for not just your system, but for everybody's system. It, it, it is. Not? And it's very true. So for us, there are the kids who apply and who do not qualify we always ask them, that, would you like us to refer you to one of our um, system you know, universities, UH Downtown, Clear Lake, and Victoria? And if they say yes, their application you know, is seamlessly transferred and no second time, right. no admission you know, fee or anything, and they can be admitted. And many choose to do that. But, but, and out of, but those who um, don't choose to do that, they're probably thinking somewhere else. And many times... You know, we wish we can expand because it's, Houston is going to expand, right? So right. we need. So we have expanded in many ways. You you know, think about it. We are now in Sugarland. I mean, we are in eight locations, University of Houston system. Right. And in Houston, seven of those eight locations are in Houston. Yeah. And one is in Victoria, of course. Where we are in Katy. We're building a campus in Katy because it's almost like driving to another city. It's you where know, the growth coming is, from right? Katy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sugarland, the big campus there and growing in Sugarland. We are in Pearland. We are in North Houston. And then we are, of course, in Clear Lake. Would you like to grow more? I mean, I don't think we will have an option. You know, you can You have become, no choice but to grow more. Yeah, you yeah. can be elitist, but that's not who we are. I mean, we are here to serve. We are here to make right. sure that Houston and Texas are well served. So I just don't think we can cap the enrollment and say too bad you know your doors are closed so, so if we were sitting here five uh, years from now you'd be talking to me about a larger enrollment and possibly a bigger footprint uh, we will definitely be growing and we have grown since i came here from thirty-four thousand to now we're talking forty-six thousand on main campus right. and fifty-eight thousand to so seventy-five thousand in the system crazy so we have been growing and we'll keep students. on growing I mean, that's amazing C can you keep it affordable chancellor this is the big buzzword these days yes absolutely. higher ed has gotten to be so unaffordable and i look at the public university campuses in the state i'm paying tuition for the last year at an out-of-state public university system, and I can tell you paying out-of-state tuition is no bargain. Well, that's the problem. Why are you sending them out-of-state? We have fabulous institutions Be in Texas. Because kids have minds of their own. Well, I mean, well, I, well, I, well, I so said to my daughter, if you go to school in Texas, I'll buy you a new car every so year because it will be cheaper. And that would have been true. 
Right. So right. wait a minute. So why are you blaming me well, for? I'm not blaming you. I'm asking. Kid going, choosing to go somewhere no, else. But I'm asking you if know, even this... you know within within the realm of the tuition yeah. that somebody pays in in state, whether it's University yes, of Houston, absolutely. Texas A&M, or, or University of Texas, it can be considered reasonably a bargain at that price. Absolutely. And it yet is. some still say it's not affordable enough, and we have to do more to get out ahead right. of the affordability question. Well, the thing is, if it's important for nation, for state, I said, you know, anything that costs anything about higher education is expensive. You know, some people cannot pay. You don't apologize for that. No, no, I'm saying some people cannot pay for it. It's absolutely true. And some people end up taking loans. But here's the thing. Texas itself is, I can tell you, Texas, if you look at in national comparison, is a very affordable public higher education relative in to Texas, other places, right. relative to other places. I mean, go take a look at what it is in New, in New Jersey, for instance, and you will, you can compare. So it is relatively affordable. Plus, we make it because all of the institutions do. We have we have what is called Cougar Promise. That means if your family income is fifty thousand or less, we even put signboards in Houston saying that if your family income is fifty thousand or less, you free, no tuition, no fee charge to you. What's the cost of the University of Houston system for all the kids who are in Cougar Promise? What's what is your um, what is the price tag of that annually? Would you I guess? I really don't know because it that has price to be probably tag, a lot. But but it's a it's significant. A significant. And you get wealthier people but, who can afford to pay more, or donors probably presumably to help out underwrite right. the cost of that. But but also you have to realize that we still we also give out about two hundred million dollars worth in financial, financial aid, aid, right, to help the kids who exactly. can't pay the whole whole way. Exactly. Right. So. You know, yes, if for those people who can't afford it, it is a lot, no matter what it is. You know, for, for somebody, 5000 is lost is a lot. For somebody, 50000 is a lot. So right. it's relative, right? I, I'm interested in this Cougar Promise thing because, you know, there's a conversation. I can't help but always connect this back to the political conversation we're having in this country at the moment. And there is a conversation about whether college should be free. There are some people who believe in free college. Do you believe what? in free college? Are you serious? There is anything free? I mean, it can it can be free to well, it's students. Cost maybe something it, for it's going to cost to yeah. somebody, right. right? So it's free is meaning free to students. So any politician who says we ought to make higher ed free, what they are saying students. is free to students, students. because right. somebody's paying. Right, but and you, but I would you can't love make the, you can't make the economics of that work, can you? I would love for government to pay like the way it used to be at some point in time and make it free for everybody. But why not? I mean, but that's not where we are. It's not reality. realistic. Yes. It doesn't seem realistic. To, we, but yeah, we can't but I, I think you also need to know that in general, you know, Texas universities do a very good job. Right. And there are many of us that are in the top 20 in the, in the country in terms of affordability. And average debt for the students in Texas is lower than average debt nationwide. I mean, we try our very best, but the bottom line is this. And you know, Evan, that, you know, even though we might be in Texas, but our faculty recruiting base is all over the country. And our faculty will get stolen by anybody else in the, in, in the country. It's not like they are based right. here. They're restricted here, right? right? So we have to see that marketplace, and we want to make sure if you're going to have top-notch, tier one institutions, which we need because we haven't talked about the research output yet. That's equally important for institutions to make sure right. they're engaged in that ent uh, enterprise. You have to have the market, uh, which is national market, right. global market for your faculty. So in other words, our cost is what is... Well, and you can't pay those top-notch faculty in smiles or in enthusiasm. I you have wish, to pay them yeah. in dollars. No, it doesn't because, work that right. way. So, so do you go up to the legislature this session? Will you and say, we need to raise tuition rates in our system? 
well, we are not raising any tuition this year. We Whatever we did, we did last year, and we try to raise as little as we can. But you as believe little. that you need more, whether it's now or soon? I, I mean, tuition is rising, even though it may be 1% or 2%, 2.5%, but it's it rising to, it, it needs all. to go up. Now, you no, know I don't, I, I mean, I don't think it needs to go up. If the government can put the money, it does not need well, to go up. Well, I guess this up. is my point. I mean, you know that but, people in right. your job have to go up to the Capitol and advocate for the ability to raise right. rates modestly, try to keep it as modest as possible, but your costs are going up year over year. Right. And so you need to potentially ask for a little bit more from the families that pay Right, so his cost is going up and right. unfunded, unfunded mandates. You, I counted some for you earlier on, right? Right. So those unfunded mandates, if they keep Whether on getting... Whether it's Hazelwood or what, what whatever right, it may right, be, yeah, but yeah. if they are coming on the institutions, and then at the same time, let's not forget another third element to it and third driver for cost, and that is regulation. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people work just so that we can fill out all of those compliance, federal and state right. compliance things. I mean, that complete just keeps on expanding. Right. Plus, think about what are the other needs you know, that institutions weren't doing before. 20 years ago, you wouldn't hear about mental health. You wouldn't hear about right. you know, food insecurity. You wouldn't hear about homelessness. Today, if, because our focus is getting students through that finish right. line, we are paying all of the attention to all this, and it's all investment. It it's takes a, it, money. It's a little bit, Chancellor, like the social and emotional learning conversation we have in public ed. There's a version of that now happening at higher ed. You have to basically backstop these kids in the same way that public ed has to backstop kids. Exactly. Right. I mean, so so, so, so you, you feel like if unfunded mandates and costs just naturally going up, being what they are, it's not unreasonable to go up to the legislature and say we need to raise our rates a little. Okay, I don't. We don't have to go to the legislature for tuition rates. That's not a legislative thing No, no, I know that, but anymore. you know that that conversation happens regardless. Right. I mean, yeah, whether or not you have to do it, you have to justify. It. Absolutely. I mean, you get to do. Let's stipulate. I know. You know. Yeah. You guys do what you want, but you get up to the Capitol and they go, "Wait a minute, you're raising tuition," and then you say, "Well, let me explain why." And what the pushback, at least the last couple of sessions, as I've heard, has been, "Well, you all are not." efficient enough with the money that you have now. Right. And so how can you justify asking for more money when you haven't done a good job of stewarding the money that we're, we're allowing you to have or that you're raising? Right. But I th What's I think, your response to that? I think most legislators, uh, they do understand why tuition have to go up because if we can't pay, yeah. you know, put the price, then, it, then you know, tuition will go up. But let me tell you, there, there are institutions, I won't name any, outside of Texas, for instance, I thought you were going to talk smack about people inside Texas. I was no. getting excited. No, no, about no. That, I was, <laughs> I was just going to tell you this because they're like one institution hasn't raised tuition in seven years. Right. Okay, so it's a public institution. You don't raise tuition in seven years, but you're doing all these other things, and you're you've given faculty raises all this time, right? So how do you do that? What do they have do done, what they have done is, seven percent of the kids came from within a state. Now thirty percent. I mean, seven percent of the kids came from international. Right. Because international, you can charge more. Full pay. Now, 30% of that institution's kids are coming internationally. So they've just so changed, them. They've changed the mix. Okay, so right. what happens to the state's kids, right? They can't get in. Okay, now, is that what we, we want here? Because that's right. another, uh, another way to, to try yeah. to do. And I can tell you every institution is working to really reduce costs. I mean, I, so I, you I think honestly... Do you think efficiency is a legitimate conversation to have? Has, definitely, right. it has gone up. I mean, I can show you how much money each year 
we pull out from our institutions so that we can put behind our initiatives. Yep. I mean, every single year there is. So what's that. happening over at the University of Texas system now, where they've gone through this process of doing an audit of all their expending, uh, expenditures at the system level, and they're reducing headcount, and they're trying to figure out ways famously and somewhat uncomfortably over there to reduce costs. You believe that's the right approach for I mean, a system? For us, it's a, yeah. I mean, I won't say a system level because I don't have it that way system. You know, we don't have system people, right? In University of Houston, right. nobody is just for system, right? right? Because You have it set up a little bit differently. We are set up differently, so right. we don't have that layer. However, for the institutions, within institutions, every single year our board demands that we go through that, uh, you know, just a regular Se exercise. Self-audit. Absolutely. I mean, I don't yeah. want to call it audit, but it's like a self-evaluation, self-review of where is it that you have pockets of inefficiencies. But you need to show, and every single year we bring it to the board to say, here is the amount that is coming from within institution right. to invest to the new initiatives. Do you, uh, are you sympathetic to the idea, as is the case at the A&M system uh, campuses, that public-private partnerships are a way to possibly stretch a dollar, you know? We, we've which, been doing it, and we need to do it. Same thing. You think that's a legitimate conversation? We, yeah, as, as that's well. a legitimate So you brought up the resource thing. I want to go to excellence, because okay. we talk a lot about how much higher ed spends, and we talk about all these things right. that have nothing ultimately to do with the classroom experience right. and the quality of, of what's produced on these campuses. So now there are nine Tier 1 institutions in Texas, right? UTEP is just uh, an add-on. Yeah, on. Carnegie's right. right. True. Mm -hmm. Um is that enough? I mean, does, does the public understand what that means? Because in some respects, you know, it may be great that these are all tier one institutions and you're doing all this research, but does the public understand the value of that or the importance of that? Uh, I think there is enough pride. I can tell you for University of Houston, it has yeah. made a huge difference. It has yeah. made a difference in terms of the kids, in terms of the alumni, in terms of the giving. I mean, we just finished a billion-dollar campaign. And, and and in part, it was a campaign that was successful because of the status and the stature. It's the it's the pride. They feel the institution right. is on the in the in the in the right direction. And we did it 18 months before you know the our schedule time. Right. Yeah. And and so we are continuing to raise funds. But not only that, I mean, if you think about it, there hasn't been a campaign done since 1989. So this one, like, it was complete dead silence wow. all this time. For us to be able to, you know, dream to do a billion-dollar campaign, there are very few public institutions that, that have done it. It's not a whole lot. I mean, I think it just tells you the people are hungry to invest in excellence. People want to do that. Right. They want a good institution because, you know... It, Okay, you know, if you think about it, when people are coming looking at globally, they're looking at nationally, would they be considering institutions in Texas? So you can take it, take a look at it, how you become a competitive institution. Are people looking and thinking, oh my goodness, I need to go there, and we need to have more institutions in Texas. Yeah, but, but isn't the public-facing way that, that that conversation is litigated more through these rankings you know, whether it's U.S. News or any of the other – I mean, basically the public doesn't know enough to think, oh, it's right. a tier one institution, I'm going to go there. They think, oh, what does U.S. News say? And you look at the Texas schools and the rankings, you know, it's not so great. The governor right. even talked about this when he ran for governor the first time. He said, so, you know, I think we should have five of the top ten public universities in the U.S. News rankings be in Texas. There were none then, there are none now. So so let's, let's separate the conversation. U.S. Yeah. News and World Report ranking has nothing to do with research. Right, but it does have one. something to do with the perception of the quality has, of the education. It has to do with undergraduate education, period. Right. Okay, all of those rankings for U.S. News and World Report are for undergraduate so education. So maybe a false indication of the, of the quality of right. what's happening on that campus. Okay, so the, the, the rankings for research are 
you know, several others different. But here is the thing. I, have, I, I feel I have used the rankings in a very effective way because people, even you have an organization this large, you need to encourage, motivate, inspire people right. to get to the next level of excellence. How do you define next level of excellence? You know, like for US News and World Report, we were nowhere on that list, right? Why? Because our graduation rate was so poor. Now, if, if I set a goal saying, let's take it from this level to this level, we know as an institution, we have to raise the graduation rate. Now, what better way to motivate people to raise graduation rate, which is good in itself anyway? Right. However, it gives, it's almost like a flag, you know, that invokes emotions in right. you. I feel using rankings in a positive way to inspire and motivate people, give a milestone so you can then celebrate and think about the next milestone. I think that's a, that's a good so, thing. And, so if the rankings are not what you'd like them to be or what the public uh, uh, or what the governor say or somebody else out in the world thinks they ought to be, we should have, we should have, that actually is a motivator for you to get your folks and yourselves to do better. Right, to, to go in the right direction. So I'm grateful turning, for the governor. You're turning to, it into a positive. No, but also think about it. I'm grateful for governor to using that and saying that we want to build more tier one universities because nationally, the conversation I like to hear, and that's where when I am at national right. organizations, is Texas cares for excellence in higher education while so many other states are not even talking about it. So I think governor has done a great job. It's a, it's a legitimate conversation. To be ah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. Um, on this question of completions, you've said a couple of times that you're able to take your completion rate and, and, yep. and improve it. You know, statewide, the, the numbers are, I think, we, we track the kids who enter the eighth grade in public schools in Texas through high school and then go six years out. And if you look at it, it's basically one in five achieve some kind of higher ed completion six years out of high school, four-year, two-year, or career in tech. If you're African-American or Hispanic, yeah, it's closer it's to one in 10. If you're poor, it's regardless right. of race, it's one in 11. I, know. I mean, you know, Texas likes to be first and best at everything, Chancellor. Right. You, know, you and I both came right. from someplace else. Right. <laughs> but we know, having been here as long sure. as we have, sure. that Texas doesn't stand for being anything other than sure. the best. That's not best. Right. That's not even good. So you've managed to do something that everybody else on balance has not managed to do, which is to change, I think they change the doing. calculation. I think they all are doing. It's just that being in Houston, it just made sense. I mean, think about what other big city you see that where you don't have a really great institution. I, zero, right, in the nation. Just look around everywhere. Why Houston, fourth largest city, shouldn't as, you know, aspire to have an institution that really sits on these top lists. I sure. just, I mean, to me, it wasn't. Yeah, but it's not as much. But as well, you well know, it's not just as much as saying it. You had to actually employ strategies oh, yeah, to get course. those numbers up. Totally. So, what was the most important thing you did to get those numbers up? To get the completion numbers up? Well, um, it was nine different things we did. Some were completely, I would say, uh, symbolic, yeah. like creating pride. So we have Cougar Red Friday every Friday. Right. You're going to wear I don't know red. that I've ever seen you in all the years I've known you not in red. You, well, there you, you go. You know, you, you walk the walk. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so those were very symbolic things, but it was important because I keep saying to students, you need to take pride in your journey. If you don't have pride in your journey, yeah. then you, your destination for you is not important. So the culture of the institution I in that respect so. matters. But that was yeah. a small thing. But the big things were aligning what we were offering in terms of programming to what is the regional economy you know, needs, what the strengths are. Starting a petroleum engineering program. I mean, can you even believe that being in Houston, in the energy capital of the world, University of Houston did not have did a petroleum have engineering one, right, program? Yeah. Or, <coughs> it seems like a miss, right? Or in Texas happen. Medical Center, all kinds of health-related 
programs that we can offer to support that mission, right? Or for the NASA or the port, when you align your what you are de doing to the needs of the industry, to the needs of the people, the citizens, I think like arts economy, totally. I mean, Houston has such a strong arts economy. Right. We ought to be, we didn't have, we created now, we didn't have College of the Arts, right? It just makes a huge difference when you can completely connect with the economy. And that also motivates kids when they see the opportunity just outside of the campus. They think, I'm going to do what I have to do to go yes. through, get complete, and then get and launched. Absolutely. So, right. so there are a lot of different things take place, but at the same time, I think you have to have that commitment and genuine in your heart that this student success is your no-excuse priority. Yeah. You can come and give me any excuse, and you know that everybody there on campus will tell you exactly what the university's priorities are. They'll point out to you two priorities anytime you go on campus. Yeah. Because they believe in it. They are achieving it. I mean, I can only right. talk. People are the ones who are doing it. Do you worry about when people graduate or that they graduate? I remember a conversation I had with Diana Natalicio at the University of Texas El Paso a couple years ago where she said, look, you know, we have a more challenging student population. The yep. nature of our yeah. student population is different than at UT Austin or Texas right. A&M. We have people who have kids and are going back to school later or people who are enrolled in sure. the military or uh, uh, have enlisted in the military. They're at Absolutely. Fort Bliss and they come to school. They're having to work several jobs. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you look at our four-year graduation rate, that was back when I had this conversation with sure. years ago. It was about 10%. Right, sure. She said, but the fact is, you know, there are local trains and there are express trains. Sure. At, at UT Austin or at Texas A&M, they may be on the express train. Right. Here, they're on the local train. Don't punish us for the journey. Reward us for the destination. Even right. if it takes them 10 years to complete, we consider that a victory. Your school is probably right. a little bit more in that respect, No, right? but don't forget, I'm chancellor of the system, right. and I've got both types of institutions. You have both local have and express trains. Absolutely. Yeah. So for University of Houston, but in Houston, I always believed since the day I came in Houston, you need to have a place for every kind of student. Yeah. You should have an institution where they can have a traditional college experience and they yeah. can get the express train. So for us, UH downtown, extremely challenging population there. The question is, are you going to punish them because they are providing opportunity for students who are who were working, literally who are working 30 hours, you know, or 80% of the population there is just, just working people. It's just going to take that person longer to get through it's just, and, and it's fine. <coughs> and I you mean, take, it's you're, fine. Good, you're good with that. I, I'm good with that, but here's, you have to differentiate in mission. You cannot give a pass to the University of Houston for taking long time. Why? What's the reason for that? However, you cannot punish UH downtown for taking long time because it's a mission separation. Right, so the metrics are not one size fits all. It metrics cannot be. It should not be. Otherwise, we're going to lose no matter what. It's just... It, yeah, yeah. So uh, just a couple minutes left. I want to ask you... Oh, a, sure. a, 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 stepping back from higher ed for a second. So you're an immigrant. Yeah. Right? You're a person of color and yeah. you are the only one of the chancellors of the six big systems who is a woman okay. and who is a person of color. And so you have a different perspective, I think, running a school that has one of the most diverse student populations, not just in Texas, but in the entire country, yep, right? Sure. I mean, it ranks just up in yep. the top five, I believe, in the diversity. Yeah, number two, yeah. Demographic change is a fact of life in Texas. The population mm -hmm. of Texas right now is 57% people of color. Mm -hmm. it, that trend line is not reversing. It's only going to be more and more. Yes. 
how do you think about demographic inevitability in the context of your th own thoughts about higher ed and for you an issue that is is personal because I think you have a, just a different perspective by definition than, than people right. who are in the similar job at other systems. Right. I mean, you're right, absolutely. I mean, I say always what University of Houston has in, in terms of what it looks like and that's a prototype of what all institutions will look like in 20 years. You're the so. leading indicator. We are the leading indicator and therefore we have more responsibility on our shoulders to not fail in this experiment. We have to prove that diversity, or whether it's with immigrants, that diversity and excellence are not mutually exclusive. We have to prove that. Yeah. So again, I would you may say I have too much optimism or whatever, but bottom line is this. You cannot complain about the trends that you see. You just have to make sure that you're, you're nimble enough to be able to serve the mission despite everything else that's going around. So demographics is one thing. All of this onslaught of technology is totally another thing. Right. All of disruptive technologies that are coming is completely different thing. Now, one more point that you haven't, um, you know, we haven't talked about, but it's an important point. I think a lot about where's the future of higher education or universities in America. Right. The fear that I have, what worries me is that the top institutions they might become institutions that are serving global haves. Because there are enough people in the world who have enough money to be able to pay for those institutions to access them and to go there. And our own kids, that we, we are just, if we don't aspire to make sure that we build more institutions that are of that caliber, our own kids are going to become the have-nots. And, and as an immigrant, you know, I, why, why am I here? Because the institutions of higher education in America are unparalleled. I mean, just like there's nothing else. You know, yeah. these are best here. America has been able to do that by creating an environment where you can bring talent, not just students, but also the faculty from everywhere. This is a mecca. We do not want to destroy that environment because there are enough countries now around the world that can put bricks and mortar and that can throw money at trying to build something. But what they cannot provide is an environment that America provides. Yeah. And we have to keep that environment open for immigrants. We have, to, we have to keep that environment open for talent. Because otherwise, you know, that is the biggest advantage America right. has. Well, the, and the public university model is particularly well-suited to dealing with a diverse population. Absolutely. You also have the similar thing happening is over the years we've become more and more of an urban state. And so a, a school like University of Houston is reacting as much to the rapid urbanization and the population of urban students, not just students. Right. And then the population growth of the state, we're going to double our population in the next 30 years. Those kids are going to all need to go to school somewhere. And so a big public university may right. be the appropriate place for them. Right. But with all of our diversity, yeah. all of our challenges, and being in a metropolitan city, having a history where it was a commuter school, we became a chapter of the Phi Beta Kappa. Yeah. I mean, which you do not, it's a very selective it process. Can, you prove it can be done. That's what I'm saying. It may take a village, but it can be done. And that's, that's what gives me the thrill, and that's what keeps me in this job in this place, because I can see the needle moving, and I can, I'm just intoxicated by the movement of the needle, which there aren't that many universities in the country that can provide that. Good. Chancellor, that's a, it's a good place to end. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, University of Houston Chancellor Renu Couture, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, 
Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, WGU Texas, and Texas State Technical College. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 86th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.